Welcome back to the Zero Weakness Podcast, where we talk about how to be a better lifter, how to be a better coach, and everything in between. Make sure you subscribe and enjoy. Hello. Welcome to the Zero Weakness Podcast. Hello. We're back with another episode. That's right. That's right. This podcast is sponsored by Establishment Coffee Co. Go to establishmentcoffee.com.au, use the code 025, get 25% off your order and free shipping. How has our week been? Amazing. So, so far, good. so good. So far, so good. We're backing up off APL States, which we'll get into, but I don't know about you as I'm still feeling pretty wrecked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so, wait, wait, wait. I, I want to start this. I want to start this. Over the weekend, there were two big milestones reached. So, um, I don't know if you guys were completely privy to it. You were definitely with, with Coops. So, um, over the weekend, there have been two new bench press records in Australia. So, the biggest ever equipped male bench press and the biggest ever equipped female bench press. Both done by zero lifters. Amazing. Um, so Andrew Cooper benched 425 kilos. <laughs> Wrap your mind hole around that. Um, and Sarah Ireland, I believe, benched 215. 215? Yeah. It was just north of 200 anyway. It's some, something ridiculous. To clarify, this is in the unlimited division. So the unlimited division is a step up from, from multiply. It's a slightly different style of shirt. It's a little bit more uh, forgiving and has a bit more bounce to it. It's It's kind of like a... Uh, a supercharged slingshot and th- this isn't trying to take away from um the achievements of those lifters what i'm trying to illustrate is that it's a little bit of a different beast to regular equipped benching like in a single ply shirt for example regardless zero lifters set the the all-time bench records in equipped in the unlimited division both male and female which i think is massive and after that happened it got me thinking because, you know, zero is where it is. Um, it's, it's kind of been built off the back of coaching powerlifters at a very high level and, and achieving some big, big things in, in powerlifting. And I feel like there are a lot of um, new lifters that follow this podcast. There are a lot of new lifters at zero that don't actually know the history of what we've achieved under this banner. And so uh, I, I it, it's kind of timely because I was, I've got a... Um, a pretty cool international coaching opportunity that's come up that I, I can't really say anything about just yet, but as part of it, I've had to provide a bit of a coaching resume. And every time I'm forced to sort of list out what I've achieved or what Zero has achieved from a coaching standpoint, I'm kind of blown away, um, mainly by the fact that, you know, this brand, this product, my coaching has... Um, provided people with enough faith and trust these phenomenal athletes with enough faith and faith and trust to use these methods to take their lifting to the next level and as a result these lifters who deserve all the credit not the coach um have achieved some amazing things so i just wanted to rattle off some of the amazing things that that have happened under the banner of zero that some people may not know about um if you look at the top 20 list um in pretty much all divisions Oh, no, let's go open, right? If you look at the top 20 list, like the top 20 male squats, the top 10, uh, 20 male bench presses, deadlifts, you'll find at, at least 30% have been coached by zero or were coached by zero to be on that list. And a lot of the times it's much more than that. So for example, biggest raw deadlift ever in Australia, a zero lifter, Dylan Hellriegel. 
biggest raw bench press ever in Australia. Zero lifter. Andrew Cooper. Second biggest raw bench press. Zero lifter. Uh, Jason Simler. Fourth biggest. Zero lifter. Ron Kingy. Uh, eighth biggest. Zero lifter. Caleb Voice, who arguably is the best bench presser ever in Australia. Now, that's not to that's not to discount Andrew Cooper. Andrew Cooper is an amazing bench presser, and he will become, in my opinion, the best bench presser. He's definitely the strongest bench presser right now. But Caleb Voice is like the Ed Cohen of bench press for Australia. Like he has the all time record in like four weight classes, and not just by a little bit. Like these records will not be touched for a long time. Um, Zero has taken more than sixty in both squat and deadlift uh, lifters to three hundred kilo plus. Um, squats and deadlifts in competition. And that's not like if I squatted 301 comp 310 and another comp 320, that doesn't count as three, that counts as one. So we've taken over 60 lifters in both squat and deadlift to 300 plus in competition. Um, we've taken over 70 lifters to pro raw events. We've had over 20 podiums. Um, I can't count the number of national champions we've had in weight classes, um, the overall national champions, the number of world champions that we've had in weight classes. I count can't count these things like the the numbers are, are too too big and too broad um i've coached the national png powerlifting team the national fijian powerlifting team what i'm trying to get across is, here is that zero is not big because of amazing marketing over the years zero is big because we had an amazing amazing coaching product and now we've turned it into amazing marketing and um yeah i guess the reason i wanted to say this is to uh, some people may look at a brand like this and not know the history and therefore not appreciate why um, it's got the name that it does. Um, and why it has the name that it does is because we've been in the trenches for 10, 10 years, like deep in the trenches, like working with thousands of lifters and crafting this product to be what it is. And in doing so, like I'm just obviously incredibly proud as to what we collectively under zero have achieved. And yeah, I just wanted to shine shine some light on that, especially given Andrew and Sarah doing these these amazing lifts over the weekend, I think it's really cool. Amazing. Flip had no idea we had such a rich resume. Yeah. That is insane. That's, um, right. Tom, that, that's on, honestly only scratching the surface as well. I was going to say, I could already think of things you've already missed in there, <laughs> which what? is, um, I was just thinking, oh, it just weight class things as well. Like people like Jen Smith, yeah, who's got uh, number one in everything, squat, bench, deadlift in her weight class. Um, 60s That's and 56s, I'm pretty sure. She was number four all time in the world. Yeah. Um, that may have dropped down since I last checked. She'll be in the, she'll be in the top six still in the world ever in the 60 kilo class. J Jen, in my opinion is, is, uh, I really don't want to say the most impressive lifter I've ever worked with, but I struggle to think of many more lifters that are more impressive than, than Jen Smith. Like she's benched 132 weighing under 60 kilos. That's just phenomenal she's just an incredible lifter and an amazing person yeah i was just about to say that too uh whenever people meet jen they say the same thing mm. how nice she is yeah um, i just met her for the first time on the weekend she's lovely yeah yeah it's really cool when you have like such incredible lifters that are just down to earth and cool like that um yeah but uh, like the amount of incredible it's uh, it's it's almost unfair to just lift off one <laughs> like the amount of incredible lifters that have uh, flown the flag of, of zero at some point is is just crazy. Like looking through the list when I go when I was going through open powerlifting and looking at like, you know, the top ten or the top twenty, the top fifty, there are a lot of names on all of these lists that I have coached at some point in their career. Like I may not have coached them to whatever their top numbers are now. 
but I've coached at some point in their career, and it's it's quite, I don't know, it's it's pretty. Um, uh, it brings up emotions, you know, thinking that these phenomenal athletes saw value in the product that we offer um, and were willing to put... It's, it's, a, it's a big thing when you're an incredible athlete to say, because you're an asset. You're like, I am an asset, I'm a weapon, um, and I want you to tell me what to do. Like, it's there's a lot of weight that goes on the shoulders of, of the coach in that sense um, because essentially a, a good coach is going to take an athlete like that and be the fall guy. Like the way that I look at it is, yeah, of course, you know, the athlete has to ex execute. They have to do the work at the end of the day. I'm just telling them what to do. Um, but I feel like um, if they are unable to execute that I haven't done my job at some point. And so it's it's crazy. I mean, you guys haven't coached enough comps to feel this. Maybe you have, I don't know. But when you're standing there on the side and someone's going for a lift, I feel like I'm going for that lift. You know, I feel like if there is a failure there, that failure was on me. I didn't pick the right number. I didn't give them the right advice. The training wasn't on. You know, And that's just stupid to think like that because it's not the reality. The reality is they have to execute. Um, there can be imperfection that leads to failure. There can be you know bumps along the road, all of that sort of stuff. It, it might just be a thing. You know, They just miss it. Uh, but I really wear my lifters' failures as my own failures. But I, I believe that's what's forged this product and forged my coaching to be what it is today. 100%. One thing that, um, especially on comp day, that gives me the most anxiety about anything is my attempt selection for all my <laughs> lifters. You know what I mean? Because uh, I like to open, get people to open relatively light and lots of people don't like that. You know, they want to put a big number on the board straight away. But, um, you know, it's all about trying to talk to them, talk them out of that, talk them off the ledge in the sense that you don't need to open big. No one fucking remembers what you opened on. Like we're trying to, we're trying to build the biggest total we can. And if we need to open light, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I, CJ, you're going to compete in a few weeks. Um, uh, the, the question is always going to be like, do you plan on going to that competition and failing any lifts? Is that part of your plan? No, of course not. Of course not. So really, you're only doing three lifts. Yeah. You're not doing nine. You're only doing three. You're doing mm. your third attempts. Yeah. So who the fuck cares about your opening and your second? Yeah, sure, yeah. there's stepping stones on the way to the third and blah, blah, blah. But really, the, the opener and the second are just about setting you up to achieve your third. Um, and well-executed competition attempt selection has that at the forefront of your mind. It is going to affect what your openers and seconds are going to be, especially if there's competition on the line because you're going to maybe build a backup total in your seconds. Uh, you know, a backup plan as to like, okay, I'm going to do this on my second so that if I fail my third, then I can do this with my bench or this with my deadlift to make up for that failure. You, you do have to think like that when you've got tight competition, but that doesn't happen too often, most of the time. And regardless of that, at the end of the day, you're still just going in there to build the biggest total. And the biggest total is going to be made up of three third attempts. So you've only got three attempts. I've got a good example of this from the weekend. He's not my client, but I handled him. Uh, Eric Rogic. Yeah. So he was pretty gassed after. He's actually coached by uh, Jamie Smith, uh, Melbourne Shrimp Culture, but he was uh, pretty gassed after his squats. Um, and he failed his last warm-up in the bench room. And I said, hey, I think we should drop this significantly. So we dropped his bench opener by 22.5 kilos. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's pretty hard to comprehend as a lifter that, mm -hmm. you know, you're about to – you know, you're about to do your opener. You failed in the warm-up room already. But, you know, dropping it by 22.5 kilos set him up to go three from three on bench and then three from three on deadlifts and have the biggest... Did he have the biggest deadlift of the day? Was he on day one or two? He was day two. 
I think he did. Yeah. The, no, there was another guy that pulled three hundred. I don't know if anyone was that pulled Jordan. Th- Jordan did two. Oh five, yeah, and then Jordan went for three. Yeah, but he missed his yeah. third attempt. But yeah. there was another guy that pulled three hundred as well. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, what I'm what I'm just trying to get at is that it set him up to have you a know, great day. Yeah. So what what did he fail in the warm ups? One forty. And what did he bench on the platform? He opened at one. He was meant to open at one fifty, and he opened at one twenty seven point five. Yeah, but what did he end up on? One thirty seven point five. Okay. Yeah, good call. I mean. You're failing 140, and you didn't even surpass that on the on the platform. It's 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 a really hard call to make as a coach because emotionally, what you, you're like, well, especially like it it doesn't apply to you. You made the right call, you know, uh, from an external perspective, and you prevented him from bombing for sure. As a coach, if you knew that lifter, and let's say you had this was your lifter, and you'd seen them bench 150 clean in training, you're like, maybe that failed warm up attempt was actually just. You know, it was just a, a misgroove or whatever you want to call it. He just screwed it up. He didn't bring enough heat to it, whatever. And you're like, oh, we'll, we'll just go 145. And then he bombs on 145. Like, you can't do that. If you have any doubt in your mind about this person's ability to perform on their opener, fucking drop it. It's always way better to have a small opener, get it, and then go with the flow. They're feeling good again, bump it back up. They're feeling shit, keep, keep the numbers low. Then just be like, oh, no, it should be okay, and then bomb. Worst feeling in the world for the lifter and for the coach. Mm. I feel like we're like swinging straight into the into the recap anyway, so we may as well just keep talking mm. about states, right? Yeah. yeah, go for it. All right, well, I'll start. <laughs> so a- APL states we ran on the weekends, Queensland states. Um, we ended up with just shy of 120. There were there were 120 lifters registered. We had a couple of people um, last minute pull out or no show, which happens at every comp really. Um, but it was pretty much 120 lifters, so um, four flights a day, split into two sessions, a morning and an afternoon session. It was a big weekend. It was awesome. Uh, but, like, far and away, the best competition I've ever run at the gym. And I've only ever run one, one, maybe two, one competition external to the gym, and that's a little bit different. It was a nationals, it was a big show, and I had a lot of help. In terms of, of course, I had a lot of help here, but in terms of what we achieved in the gym, like that competition was miles ahead of any other comp we've run. Like in terms of quality layout, how it felt in there, like just, so what we did differently, normally we have all the equipment in the gym, we just push it out to the size of some, we got a forklift and all the boys and girls helped and we moved everything next door and shifted the gym around. There was way more open space and it just felt, so much less congested and that congestion as a result decreased the stress for everyone majorly. Mm. It's just crazy how having a little bit more space made it so much calmer for all the lifters. It's it's funny because that was a oh sorry to interrupt. No, not at all. That was like yeah, that was our best comp that we've ever run. And um I'm already looking at things we can do better for our next comp. Like what? Like one thing uh someone mentioned to me was with the live stream with the names on the board, the white lights, because lots of people said they didn't know if people made lifts and not, and whatnot. Yeah. So it's going to be something we can go, cool we can do next time. Yeah, I mean, re- really, we threw CJ into the bus and we're just yeah, like, big time. Hey, you got three days, make us a live stream. Yeah, so do this, brother. It was really just a point and shoot live stream. Like we didn't really have the time to build something properly, but that's mm. definitely on the cards for um our future big meets for sure. Um, the sound system was way better. The TV up above the platform was way nicer. The platform in general looked cleaner. I've now got a wireless um a wireless lighting system. So hopefully we have that rigged up by the next one, big one as well, which will get rid of some of the just, it just looks messy having wires everywhere. 
Um, we've got our proper competition toaster racks coming that'll make the platform way nicer because we'll get the weight trees out of the way. It's just, it's so cool, like the evolution of these competitions as each competition gets better, like the big rocks are so much better, the organization, the flow of the comp, the speed of the spotters and loaders, all that stuff that most comps suck at. Now that we've nailed all that, we can focus on the little things to just make the comps fucking next level, which is really cool. Our helpers were amazing. Like all you guys, like Bridget reft most of the weekend after coaching. James jumped into every job at some stage. CJ ran the live stream and did a bunch of the, you know, helping us out on the music and everything. Um, the spotter loaders fucking killed it. You know? They were incredible. Ryan Anderson. And Ryan and Nick. And Ryan and Nick yes. were there uh, before me every day. Like they, I rocked up and they would already be here. They were here all day, every day. Um, the amount of comments we got from lifters being like the spotters are so helpful. They tell me, you know, they reassure me. They remind me of the calls. They line me up. Like, uh, the spotters caught that, that dumped squad of like 180 or whatever it was. Mm. 195. Yeah. 195. Yeah. Lala's so strong. Yeah. Very <laughs> strong. But yeah, like everybody, it's, it's cool to see how serious they will take it as well. So Ryan takes his job as a spotter. You know, he really ensures the lifters feel safe out there. He talks to his team. He even pulled me up. I put the pin on the wrong side. He goes, no, pin on the other side. I'm like, fuck, sorry, mate. Forgot your work here, brother. Um, yeah, you know, little things like that. It was just cool to see how, yeah, like you said, everybody gets in the trenches. Everybody helps out. And it just made me also, um, it's a really uh, cup-filling weekend, seeing everybody come together for zero. Like, they don't have to fucking be here, but they they all wanted to be here. They all love this team. They love this community. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what I fucking loved about it. It's pretty crazy. Like when I used to run comps at the first gym in Narang, um, the competition would finish and everyone would just leave. And I mean, there was poor leadership by me in that regard. I'd come back to the, the gym the next day, like on the Monday and the comp was just set up and I'd just do the whole thing myself, like move all the plates, move all the, and it would take me the whole day. Like I'd, I'd, um, after I'd finished working, I'd come maybe, three hours early and I'd be rearranging the gym for basically the whole day because I moved around the whole gym by myself. Now we took out more equipment all together than I had at the first gym and moved it all next door, then moved it all back in like 20 minutes. We went out to dinner afterwards. Yeah. Like we just didn't do fucking two 12-hour days in a row. <laughs> yeah, it was just a, a well-oiled machine. Um, I'm curious to hear from you, CJ. Like, what was what was your experience of of the comp as an outsider? Because um, not an outsider, but like you know, I was I was deep in refereeing most of the time, or training up the refs. Bridge and James were were coaching and refing most of the time. You had a bit running the live stream. You had a bit more of an opportunity to sit there and watch. Um, how did it compare for you to you know previous competitions that you've been to? Um, you don't notice it when you're in the moment, but. Afterwards, coming out of that comp, I reflect on it and I see nothing went wrong. It was just such a smooth day. And knowing how many moving parts there were, it's the biggest comp over two days, so many lifters, and there was no real hiccups. Everything just went really smoothly. Um, yeah, like uh, for me, yeah, my, for, uh, my job was just making sure that I did get my job done and I just stayed out of everyone's way. And whenever there was an extra hand needed, I'd just jump in. But honestly, yeah, everyone was just so um, aware of their role and executed their role to the best. And yeah, everyone came together and just wanted to see, I guess, that weekend have a win. Mm. And it really was, yeah. 
Yeah, the only two hiccups I can think of. <laughs> there were two misloads. Both of them we caught. Like that, they they weren't actually they didn't complete the lift. We stopped it before the lifter came out, um, but it was it was the same guy both times. It was like his squat, and then maybe one of his benches or his deadlift later on. It was just unfortunate. It, it, the two times that we had to be like, oh no, wait, there's a misload. Um, was the same person. Mm. What, are the, what are the odds of that, Bridget? What was your experience of the weekend? Incredible. I got to experience powerlifting from a different perspective over the weekend. I got to handle the beautiful little Paris. Yes. And it was so much fun. It's probably like my favorite experience in powerlifting so far. And Paris was amazing. She went out and she broke the APL junior 16, 17-year-old deadlift record with a massive 123.5 kilos in the under 56 category. And I just, I get emotional thinking about it now. I, I cried. It was amazing. Yeah. And it was so great to share that experience with her. It was a yeah. sick grind. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. She, she loves a third attempt grind. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> that was a fourth. Oh, yeah, that was a that fourth? Was a fourth. Yeah. She went for well, a she, record. She loves yeah. a fourth attempt. Grind. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she's done a fourth at every yes. comp. Yes. Yes. I remember her first fourth attempt at 90 kilos when she was 13 years old at the old gym. Yeah. And that... Yeah, every grind. It's always like a 10-second deadlift. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So w- what else did Paris do? What did she squat and bench press? Uh, she got her opener on squat at 80. Then she did 87.5. We went for 92, but she couldn't quite get there. And uh, she got her bench opener at 40 and couldn't get her second and third at 42. But that's all good. She had an amazing day, and that was all that mattered to me, was that she was happy and her family was happy. So. Yeah, and yeah. Wh- what was um, you know your experience overall as a coach? Um, what what are kind of the standout moments besides uh, her deadlift? Uh, as a coach, like on the whole the whole weekend, or just coaching Paris? Oh, who else did you look after? Oh, I didn't look after anyone else. I just meant maybe refing. No, no, no. Yeah, like as a coach, and then what was your experience of refing too? Um, refing was awesome. I love refing. I'm learning a lot. But um, but when it comes to the coaching, yeah, it was just great to be sort of back there in the warm-up room with her and helping her pick her second and third attempts and just, um, yeah, really getting to know her better as well because we see each other a little bit in the gym and I've helped her out, but now I feel like we have this, like, amazing bond and, mm. yeah, we've been chatting a lot more, which is great. And, yeah, I can't wait to do it again. I think I like coaching powerlifting even more than competing. Yeah, now. yeah. Yep. It's cool that she's got like a, a strong positive female role model yeah. in the gym now as well because she's yeah. always had fucking goobers like me and James. <laughs> she's always got me her. yelling down her throat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to, uh, don't worry about that. <laughs> AFL rubbish. Yeah. And lift some, that was me for fi- five years. Uh, AFL, your future's powerlifting. Yeah. You can make a lot of money in powerlifting Paris. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no stardom in AFL. Forget that. Yeah. Who needs to run? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So what what was um what was the highlight of refereeing or what was um what was your experience of refereeing? Like d- was it what you expected? I know you've done a, you've dabbled in it a little bit before yeah. but being thrown under the bus a little bit more. Um what sort of stands out? Um it was always intimidating right at the beginning to get thrown into like a different position. So like head refing for bench is always very intimidating, but I was surprised at how quickly I just got into it and got used to the role and started focusing and yeah, I actually love it. Yeah. No, you yeah. Di- I mean, you did an yeah. amazing job of it. Thank you. You killed it. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me always with, with new refs is just like the stuff you miss because you, for- you, 
you don't get a handle of how quickly things happen mm-hmm. and it's just gone. Yeah. You know, and you just sit left there sitting sitting there being like, did they hit depth or did they not? I'm really not sure. Um, and that's where a lot of refs become bad refs because they sit there and mull over it. And if you have to mull over it, it's benefited out for the lifter. They should get a yeah, white light. Yeah. You should know confidently it was high or it was good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's so easy to sit there and stew because you get you don't even get one second to see what you saw. It's mm-hmm. just like a split second and you have to take the snapshot and decide was it good, was it bad. And that's just one thing. Like if that's just squat depth, you're also thinking, did they hit their calls? Did they get double bounce? Did they get downward movement? Did they move their feet? Did they stumble back? You know, there's all these other things that you're looking for. Um, I think it's so easy to look at a video and be like, that wasn't competition standard because you've replayed it 600 times. Mm-hmm. And get that. You don't get to do that in a comp. No, not at all. What about you, James? Um, How was the weekend for you? Yeah, the weekend was mad. Um, Comps don't really... I've done so many of them with you that they don't really... uh, I don't really get nervous about them now. We kind of just... Like, they run smoothly from my experience with you. I kind of just slot in wherever I can. If you need me to ref, I ref. If you need me to MC, I'll jump on the mic. I just kind of float around and do everything at comps. But this comp was the first comp... I've handled and coached that many people. Mm-hmm. So that was like a massive experience for me. Like normally I'm more hands-on with like emceeing or refereeing or spotting and loading, but I did a lot less of that at this comp. Um, how, how many people over the two days? I think I had, so on the first day I had three and on the second day I had five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, five or six. Yep. So yeah, so that's the most people I've ever coached and handled at competition. And um, yeah, it was fucking awesome. Everybody did really well. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like just, you know, helping them with their game day nerves and, you know, just trying to trying to let them know they've done the work and they deserve to be there. Um, yeah, it's just, it's fun. Uh, I don't know where I'm really going with this, but I remember saying on a previous podcast, the last competition where I coached Bridget, Alexis and Amy, mm-hmm. that was the one that got me back into powerlifting, like personally. Because yeah. I I got so much fulfillment out of coaching them and seeing all their success. That's the one that got me back into powerlifting training myself so i walked away from this comp really really fucking fired up watching all my guys and girls kill it like jordan castles totaled 8 12 yeah um, huge. yeah what, what was his previous pb total do you know eight 800 yeah yeah so he squatted uh 310 bench 210 307 it's around 8 12 but he did lift yeah. at 392 yeah it was a three, 307 squat two, yeah 210 and then yeah the 290 whatever Yes, so he had an awesome day. Very quick turnaround on the on the prep as well. You guys yeah. didn't have a lot of time. Nah, so he came to me with like nine weeks and mm. or eight weeks, and he goes, "Bro, I want to do this comp." And I was like, "Okay, sweet. You fucking all you've done is shoulder press for <laughs> the last three months with sixty kilo dumbbells, <laughs> but let's try our best." Um, yeah, people like Jacob Persa handled him on the day, called all his attempts. <laughs> yes. He's a weapon, uh, that bloke. He's no, no fear. No, he's. I was saying to Thomas. And uh, Bridget and CJ, I reckon he's got like the biggest nuts in here. <laughs> he's not afraid of anything. I wouldn't do this, but if I said, we're going to go 350 on your third attempt, he'd go, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's have a crack. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we he squatted 290 for the first time. So that was a huge PB. He uh, PB'd his deadlift with 252.5. All good? Yeah. And this is how confident he is. He missed his second on deadlifts. He missed his second attempt, 235, because he wobbled at the top, and I still went up to 252.5 for his third. Yeah, should we talk about that third attempt? Yeah. <laughs> hey, he got two whites. That's all Jacob, that matters. Jacob, if you're listening, 
Oh, <laughs> Kung Fu Jakey. Yeah. If if there was a space on the board, I wouldn't put it on there. <laughs> I probably would. You are a thousand percent would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's on open powerlifting, it counts. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, come on. But um, who else? Who else did I have that? David Wilcock. I, f- I love this bloke. Uh, the 61 year old. workouts were good. They were yeah. great. Bro, what, I said, David, if you're listening, I said to this, why did you fucking decide to learn how to walk out on the day? <laughs> on comp day. <laughs> He's had uh, massive trouble with his walkout for the last two months. His 200 was like a three-step walkout. Yeah. It was like bam, bam, bam. <laughs> yeah, so he just pulled it together on the day. Um, he went seven from nine. But he didn't miss any lifts because of strength. There were just some technical uh, issues. Like, <laughs> I've never seen, I've never seen someone get so upset about passing a lift. Yeah, <laughs> on, on a couple of lifts, he got two whites, one red, and he was so sad about it. Like, you got the lift. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, and he, um, yeah, so he's a weapon. He, yeah, he had an awesome day. Went, like I said, went seven from nine. One of the bench presses is one of those guys that you got to tell. You know, you got to tell him everything. Like, set shoulders back and down. Mm. Uh, use your legs. I, I said, use your legs. Make sure you keep your driving your heels down. Use your leg drive. And he forgot to put his ass back down on the <laughs> bench. No, he just kept it up the whole time. Yeah. I was side reffing <laughs> I said to him, what did you do that for? And he goes, mate, I forgot. I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. We'll, we'll move on. <laughs> um, but he did a great job. Who else did I have? Becky Hill. She did an amazing job. Becky she went, awesome. yeah, she's a legend and she's she loves it. So she went seven from nine. Who else was there? Andre Chicado. One of the new kids here, he's a legend and he's um, he's a very self-sufficient lifter. He is. You, He's one of those guys, he comes to me for a program, he goes, James, I need a program. What should I do today? Uh, you do this. He goes, okay. Walks off. <laughs> Calm day. These are your attempt selections. Okay. Walks off. Like he's just, just trains hard. He had a good day. And then he showed up to the gym on Monday and Tuesday as well. <laughs> and he, um, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, you're keen on Monday. He's like, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm like you're back at the gym. He's like, you're on train. <laughs> like, oh, okay. He went to work after the comp as well. Yeah, what an animal. Yeah, he's a good kid. I really like that guy. Like, not even you guys went to work after the comp. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't stopped, brother. No, the yeah. grind don't stop. That's it. Nah, Bridget bailed on us this time. It's it's funny because me and Khan, we just send each other videos all the time whenever we're at work, and we always send each other with a message saying, "Nah, you rest, bro. You go home." I'll look after it. And that's always in each other, 24-7. It's good to know that you guys are making valuable use of company time. <laughs> company time and resources and money. <laughs> you go home, brother. I'll look after it. All right, Thomas's grievance of the week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, the competition was awesome. Can I... <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm making this podcast about me, but can I, mm. can I tell you guys what my comp PBs are in terms of coaching? Oh, yeah, sweet. I was like, wait, where are we going with this? <laughs> Can I tell you how strong no, I am? No, because you said you coached uh, seven people? Yeah. So my, <laughs> I, I feel like this is a bit of a wank, but I just, again, like representing what kind of things that we've done in zero. Um, my comp PB for coaching people at one comp is 57. What? Fuck. Yeah, f- 57 people at one comp. This is a multiple day comp, mm. like not one day. Um, my PB for people in a flight is eight and I wrap seven of them. Ugh. That was a nasty one. <laughs> my PB for knees wrapped at a comp is 167. As in 160 pairs, 67 pairs of knees. The same people, you know, mm. three attempts and, and warm ups and stuff. I don't know why I counted it, but I counted it. Mm. That, it's a good flex though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I'm flexing so hard today. Mm. It's not, it's a bit out of, anyway, let's move on. Next thing. <laughs> 
Yeah, on that note, I think I had a knee wrap PB on Monday because my arms are still sore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that fuck. I felt bad. Oh, man. I felt, uh, yeah, nah. That's all good. Yeah. No rest for the wicked baby. No, That's it's, right. it's an imagined reality thing. That's not. There is a reality to it. <laughs> but, you know, like it's one of these things where coaches are like, oh, like, nah, I definitely can't wrap knees because then it cooks my arms. It's like if you believe that, you'll always look for it. Mm. And it does happen a little yeah. bit. But if you don't believe that it's going to happen, there's a lot less chance that it does happen or it affects you a little bit less. Yeah. I've, I've I've coached at every single comp that I've ever done. The only comp in recent times that I can think of that I've done and not wrapped knees at. No, I did wrap knees at that comp. I, I can't remember the last time. Every comp that I've done, every comp that I've won, all the comp PBs that I've gotten have been at comps where I've wrapped knees. Often of people in the same flight as well. If Yeah, you just do it. Mm. Just get it done. That's wild. You're wild. Yeah. How good? Yeah. Well, <laughs> etc. Yeah. Well, <laughs> have you seen the movie Split? Yes. No. You know, um, Hedwig. Yeah. yeah. Etc. <laughs> That's what I'm going to think of every time you say etc. in a message now. Etc. I'm uh just uh just so the people know. Whenever I send Thomas an email, whenever I feel like sending a half-ass email, I don't actually finish the sentence. I just put etc. on the end, hoping he knows what I'm going to say. <laughs> and it's worked for three years, so. Yeah. But now that I've picked up on it, I do it every time as well. <laughs> I blame John Gabriel because he does it in every message he ever sends. So thanks, John. All right. Well, let's keep talking about ourselves. How have we been doing um, training-wise? I mean, we've backed off of that huge weekend and now... Next question. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it has been kind of rough. I'm not going to lie. Right, Bridget, you're up. Um. Well, normally when I come uh, in squat I day, I failed a squat. It's, just, <laughs> it's been the hardest week because I, I coached all weekend <laughs> and I failed a squat and I'm just, it's just really hard. <laughs> I Sorry. don't talk like that. <laughs> I don't sound <laughs> like that <laughs> at all. What is happening? I do. <laughs> Sorry, I but yeah, I did. I failed my squats, but I'm only disappointed because I always come in on Monday morning and squat when nobody's here, and I'm like, oh, I can come in in the afternoon when everyone's squatting and. Failed in front of everybody, but I don't really care. You didn't fail. You learned to listen. This is true. No, I mean, like, after you did, there was a bunch of us in the corner. Like, the fuck <laughs> has gone? Like, she failed? <laughs> what a loser. Imagine being disappointed after hitting a PB I know. as well. It's always the bitter irony. Yeah. yeah. She just hit a PB set of five and then was gutted four. she missed a s- four, four after she missed her second set. Yeah, that sucks. After Imagine. a huge weekend. Imagine, yeah, imagine being so strong. Yeah. Sucks. <laughs> it's all about managing your expectations. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. It is. I mean, after all, the weight is just an arbitrary. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. correct. Something that's right. Resistance, something, something. Oh, you're learning, Thomas. <laughs> but no, bench felt great today. Bench you, is feeling the best it's ever felt. It's like your yeah. PB, 50, and you're doing it for sets 55, of four. 55, and I'm doing 50 for sets of four. It's so crazy. Yeah, three sets of four. Nice. Insane. Yeah, I'm very happy. Nice. Now happy. you just got to not fail your deadlifts. I know. I won't. No. No. I mean, no a, there is a chance that you might. Like, <laughs> statistically <laughs> speaking. Statistically. There's always a chance. Wow. I don't know why I'm such a dick today. Sorry, <laughs> like, Sorry people. I, just, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're going to sit down with them after. This is what happens when you have crackers at 124 instead of 2 o'clock. <laughs> well, yeah, what about you, on? Jimmy? Me? Your, your, your training. I don't really want to talk about it, man. Nah, nah yeah, of course I do. Um, I squatted 200 for four in sleeves on Monday. Yeah, how's your back? Broken. 
but the pack I'm, st- is broken. I'm still here to tell the tale. <laughs> Final. So that was a huge PB. I actually went back. I've only ever done 190 for doubles. Fuck, that's huge. Yeah. So I never, I've never squatted 200 in sleeves. And you did it for fours? Yeah. That's Amazing. Sick. Yeah, yeah. So I did that for fours, uh, f- a set of four on Monday. The last time I did 190 in sleeves was 2018 for a double. Yeah, sick. Um, so that was huge. Um, yeah, that's all i got to say about my training at the moment. My back's fucking lit up at the moment, so I'm just trying to manage that. Uh, but yeah, no, nah, training's good. I love it. Yeah. Carl James? Yeah. Uh, tra- yeah, training's good for me. I um, Everything's like a PB now. I'm peaking for the novice comp. Um, yeah, it's starting to set in that I'm competing, so that's pretty... Yeah, it's very scary. I'm actually starting to really feel the nerves. It's getting to me. Um, just like what you guys were talking about earlier about how you feel nervous coaching someone on the day and you feel like you're, you know, you're the one lifting out there and you feel that. Like I, it, it's so funny you say that because I feel the exact same in the opposite where I'm competing and I just think I can't let these guys down because mm. all the time they've given me invested into me encouraged me for 12 15 20 weeks mm. leading up to this moment yeah I mean, you know, like you're valid. really really built like and you standing there on the platform and they say you should do this number and i'm like i can't like it's no. it really gets to you me and cj have this argument every week no, we well, I, I think it's valid because in my opinion if you don't hit those numbers you're off the team it's yeah. like <laughs> Black and white, bro. Go Simple yeah. as that. That's Go right. find a new team to join, brother. Yeah, yeah. Find a new podcast. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. That's where you far? draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> Hold the phone up. <laughs> Just kidding around, man. <laughs> but, yeah. Nah, I, I understand that. But, you know, the pressure's on. Like, you've done all mm. the work. All your, all your team. That's why when people talk about it being an individual sport, to me, it's not at all. Like, I can't fucking come in here and squat 200 for four on my own. Mm. I need I need Ryan there. I need Tom Hardy there. I need I need Bridget there. I need CJ screaming down my throat. I need Tom Bro there. You know, I need fucking... I just got chucked in at the end. Just <laughs> like, oh, I better throw him in. <laughs> better chuck the boss in. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, I can't do that on my own. I don't want to do that on my own. I want the pressure. I want my friends watching me. I don't want to let them down. I want to fucking share the moment with them. Mm. Like, um... I'm just going to, this is a little bit off topic, but I've already fucking visualized what's going to happen when I squat 300. Like, you know, everyone's going to be there. Tom's going to give me a hug. You know, he'll give me my annual hug that he gives me. Um, <laughs> I listened to our podcast when you were talking about, I know it meant a lot to Thomas because he gave me a hug. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Mm. I'm so, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> anyway. But you know what I mean? So like little things like that. Tom Bray will give me a hug. I'll probably fucking start crying. I'll probably cry. Mm, I already, I figured it out. I'm going to walk off like Conor McGregor. Yeah. I'm going to do that straight <laughs> after I do my 300. So people are going to think I'm a dick, but in my head, I'm like, nah, I've fucking, I've been waiting for this moment. You can't, you just can't, sorry to throw you under the bus, man, but you can't do a Josiah, which is where, <laughs> which is where you put so much planning into how you're going to celebrate that mm. you focus more on that than the lift and then you fail the lift. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I've been there. I've but, done that. <laughs> I've done that. You timed out. Yeah, I timed out. <laughs> I've been down, I've been down this road before. Yeah, maybe I should change my game plan. But uh, that's how it is at the moment. Yeah, you know, you got to apply the pressure. Diamonds mm. are made under pressure, baby. Mm. Yeah, that's funny you say that. I have thought about the day I'll, I'll deadlift three hundred mm. and what I do. I, it's not as flashy as that. I'd probably just start crying on the bar. Yeah. <laughs> 
honestly, I put the bar down. I look up and see the lights, and then probably time, just start bawling in front of everyone. <laughs> time's knowing. ticking, man. It's only like three weeks away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the day's coming, baby. I don't think three hundred's in line for that con, but one day, one day, one day. Yeah. On on that, Thomas, have you ever cried after a lift? <laughs> there was a bit of a gap there. It's like, have you ever cried? <laughs> Are you a human? <laughs> I've cried after a lift once. Mm. Yeah. Once. Yeah. 2013 Nationals. I squatted 250. And so what had happened is at 2012 Nationals, when I was doing my open a second session, like testing session before the comp. I still trained at a commercial gym. The dumbbell rack was right next to the squat rack and I walked out to 20 and as I was squatting, someone walked into the bar and it twisted and I tore my adductor. The first injury that I'd ever had. And so I didn't know what an injury was, like as in I knew what an injury was obviously, but I didn't know what a muscle tear was. So I felt it tear and then it really hurt. And I'm like, this, this, this guy isn't right. And I just stretched the shit out of it nonstop. And um, which is a, a really bad thing to do if you tear a muscle. Uh, so I still competed. I competed on the torn torn adductor, and that that was fine. Um, but that was kind of the start of my hip issues. Um, and so in that year as well, I uh, I un, unknownst to me, I tore my labrum in the left hip. And so I had this this ongoing issue with my with my leg and my hip from that comp. So it had been a year till the next comp, and I thought I'd overcome that issue. So I cried out of happiness, thinking my hip issues are finally over. Yeah. <laughs> Q10 <Q, Q>, <laughs> more years of hip issues. <laughs> Multiple surgeries later, <laughs> still <laughs> going. <laughs> little, They're over. Little baby Thomas didn't realize it was just the beginning. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, oh, uh, far from over, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was overwhelmed. Uh, that's the only time I've ever cried about lifting. Yeah. What about you, comp? APL states. Well, have we touched on that? Yeah, done no, everyone else. I spoke about it more generally. Um, in terms of my own training, at the moment I've got a torn uh, adductor tendon, so partial thickness tear in my adductor tendon, which just means I can't squat or deadlift uh, with full range. I can't squat to depth and I can't deadlift from the floor. So I'm still in full prep mode for for pro raw. Um, whether or not that competition actually happens, I don't know. If it does happen, I was really um, going for a podium spot. Uh, and I think I was capable of doing it. If it does happen now, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure as to what I'll be capable of. But I've been in worse situations injury-wise, closer to competition and, and still done all right. So it's just a matter of time. We'll see what happens. Um, training otherwise is good though. Feel good. Just hurts. In squats and deads. Everything else is great. How do you do that going into a comp knowing that you're like carrying injuries and how do you prepare yourself mentally? Is it just managing expectations? Like, Yeah, you know what actually really helps a lot is being a fucking idiot. <laughs> so because I've got that down pat, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what does that mean? No, no, no. We were talking about this the other day, me and you. About me being an idiot? No, no, about how when we're injured, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, like, I think a big part of it, A, is experience. I've been in this situation before, and I know that um, uh, injury doesn't affect my mind. It's literally just a physical thing. So as, as soon as I can get past the physical aspect, I'm not scared. Um, I don't really carry that inherent fear that comes with getting injured. I mean, we spoke about it on one of the first podcasts we did in this format. Um, so I won't go too deep into that. Um, 
The other big thing, and I th- this is relevant for people to hear, when we were doing the short format podcast, I did one on peaking. Go back and listen to that because I go in, in detail in, into this. But when you're peaking, you're not getting any bigger and you're not getting any stronger. You're literally just practicing. So even though I'm not at peaking phase yet, I'm in the tra- what I call a transition phase, which is where you transition from strength into peaking. And there's a little bit of strength work that gets done here, but not heaps. Like most of the foundation is laid in far earlier training. So really, as long as I don't detrain between now and the competition, I should be able to hit PBs. Like it, it, so it's just me relying on the theory of it. And I can do that because I've done it in practice. I've been injured worse, closer to comp, and still PB'd. At the last pro roar I did, I tore my adductor like a proper tear in the actual muscle belly um, maybe five weeks out and uh, still competed and hit a 25 kilo squat PB. So Damn. yeah, it's it just comes down to practice Gosh. to a large degree. And I mean, uh, th- this sounds ridiculous because everyone thinks that I'm injured all the time. I'm really not injured all the time. Um, where I get hurt is closer to competition, my hips, because my left hip is so much more dysfunctional than my right. If you look at my legs, my right leg is significantly bigger because I, I, they don't move the same as they used to. And so the distribution of load carries far heavier into the right side than the left. Um, and as, as a result, when I go heavier, it, my, my body just doesn't like the load. That's my theory anyway, which is why I tend to tear that adductor. Um, well, I've torn it once. <laughs> this is the second time. I, I just feel like I load into that right hip a bit more because the left hip has really, really degraded since the last surgery. It's gone pretty horribly backwards. That's why I'm pulling out a raw lifting. I can't do it anymore. My left hip is just, I'm just going to keep getting injured like this if I try and push the boundaries. So I really wanted to have one last big raw comp and then call it quits and just go equipped. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, I think the hard thing is like, even though you're getting over physically, you, I guess with you, it doesn't affect you mentally. Whereas, um, I guess a lot of athletes in, in sports where they might've done an ACL or something like that. And they don't know if they can step off that leg as hard as they could before, or, you know, it's in the back of their mind, even though physically they've done the rehab surgery is good. And, but they just don't trust the limb or the joint as much as they used to. Mm. Um, There's so many factors at play there though. Like, um, what what are you doing this for? Like, what is your why when it comes to you lifting weights or you doing whatever sport that you're doing? And depending on what your why is or what's tied up in your reason why is going to greatly impact your mentality around being held back. So, like, if you compare, um, you know, someone doing a hobby sport like powerlifting to someone like Alex Glenn, you know, at the very top level... If he, he might have the same athletic mentality, which is like, I get injured, I can't perform, I'm letting down my team. That athletic mentality is there. But also that what stews in the back of minds of people like that is like, this is their livelihood. Uh, this is their identity. This is like everything's tied up to this one particular thing. Whereas powerlifting, there's no professional powerlifter. So it literally is a hobby sport. And so it's easier to digest and understand or digest and, and rationalize not being able to do the thing because it, it doesn't, life doesn't actually rely on it that much. And I think in my early phases of lifting, I tied my identity into powerlifting from a business perspective a lot more. 
that is, I, you know, my business grew because I used to be a good powerlifter, believe it or not. Like I used to be at the top and win competitions and, and be really good and be recognized as one of the best lifters. Um, and now I don't need that anymore. So while my athletic mindset hasn't changed in the sense that I always want to do the best I can, I want to push my body as far as it can go when I'm in a competition, like going into pro role, I want to win. I don't I said I wanted a podium spot. If I'm being completely honest, I want the number one podium spot. You know, I'm, mm. I'm a competitor for sure. But if I don't get that, it doesn't actually mean that much to me. Like if I don't get there and I don't do it, yeah, maybe I'll be a little bit sad that I didn't get the opportunity to, but it's just kind of like, well, that opportunity's been and gone. Life goes on. I got bigger things at play. I got gyms to run. I got staff to manage. I've got life to do. I've got a dog that takes up ninety five percent of my time. You know, like I've got other stuff going. So mm. anyway, yeah, no, that answers it. Um, How good? <laughs> should we do your grievance? Yeah, I guess. we haven't done it for two weeks, have we? No, well, oh, yeah. we didn't do one with. No, oh, yeah, we. So have. you, you guys would have seen Liz Clay's episode last week, which was nah, awesome. But comes out tomorrow. This that you guys won't see this until. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, I, I don't like this podcast episode. I don't feel like it's all about me, and I really don't like that. But <laughs> welcome back to the Tombro Potty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, you never talk about yourself. So fucking let them let them have it, brother. Yeah, you know what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my grievance of the week. Okay, this relates to the competition. So, James is aware, Bridget and CJ maybe not so much, but at competitions, people bring their food. They tend to leave their food in the fridge. And sometimes people bring good food, and sometimes people bring bad food, and they forget it. They leave it in the fridge. And my philosophy is if it's in my fridge, it belongs to me. So, yeah, a little nibble here, a little snack there. <laughs> No one left any good food. It was all shit. Someone left like some pale ass, like overcooked, <laughs> rotten chicken breast. Is that still in there? Yeah, I was going to give some to Bud. <laughs> <laughs> he probably won't eat it. It's, that's, it's uh, nothing worse. If you're a competitor listening to this, yeah, we've done episodes on comp day nutrition. It's like, eat what's familiar and eat carbohydrates <laughs> and salt. No, fuck that. Bring nice food and leave it for the meat director after you live. The meat director. Yeah. Make a whole lasagna. Make it from scratch. Yes. I want you to roast the tomatoes with mm. garlic. I want you to blend up that sauce. I want you to use the fanciest mince you can find. I want you to hand make the pasta. I want you to milk the cow to get the cheese. Like, I want the best. No more of this dry ass pasta with mince with no sauce. What the yeah. fuck is that? This you're you're right though. This is hands down the worst. Usually I come in here on Monday, you know, rubbing my hands together. Oh, wonder what's for lunch today, and then yeah, fuck what I come in pineapple lumps. I want some fucking. They weren't even good pineapple nah. lumps. They're like stale and pineapple lumps. Fucking plain boiled chicken. Where's the fucking? Oh, I was disappointed too. I. I shouldn't admit this, but like 80% of the Tupperware that I have or plastic ware that I have is from comps. <laughs> I, I don't know the last time I bought a plastic tub, but I've got hundreds of them at home. Can I, just speaking on uh, eating food in the fridge, uh, so I like my food really spicy <laughs> and I fucking, uh, so I spice that shit up. You know, I use bird's eye chilies. I add some chili powder. I do all that jazz. And uh, <laughs> Thomas, I don't know where I was, but he decided to have a wee nibble of it and it fucking almost took his soul. Yeah, <laughs> sent, sent me to another dimension. Yeah, I have some of Bridget's coffee most mornings. She gets honey in it and I, I like honey in coffee, but I don't go crazy about it. 
Um, Brandon Kempter, if you're listening to this, yeah. man, you got to step up your cooking game. Like stealing your food back in the day was just always disappointing. <laughs> uh, there's other names of people who have left food here, but I won't throw them under the bus. Some people well, are good cooks. Well, the other day, Meg uh, Kimura, she went to give me a jelly that she had in the fridge. And she goes, yeah, all good. I've got four of them. She went to the fridge. There was only two of them. So someone's fucking <laughs> helped themselves to uh, two of them. I'm not a jelly guy. So I can promise you that I didn't take the jelly. <laughs> yeah, and I my, my strategy is that I, uh, you know, I'll take enough that you don't notice it's gone. So it's normally like take a little dig and then smooth over the hole, <laughs> move some stuff around. And the reason I do that is because if you ever did that to my food, I'd know about it. <laughs> like I know where I put the container. When it moves, I get upset because <laughs> I get paranoid that someone's <laughs> taken some of my food. Someone's uh, ruined Tombro's macros. That's right. All right. Um, do we have any client shout outs? No, nah, this is because we're running out of time. Let's just roll into the, the questions at the end. Because right. I feel like we shouted out a bunch of clients doing the, the APL recap. Okay. <laughs> Let's start with a funny one. Anaru asks, how do you feel about clients going off program? Ooh. Are there any clients on program at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> um, context dependent. If they're not following the program because they think they can do it better than themselves, that, that pisses me off because, you know, they come to you for guidance and support you've laid out the, the perfect blueprint for them to succeed. And then all of a sudden, because they don't like what they're doing, they're like, oh, nah, let me just do my own thing. That's that's when that pisses me off because, all right, well, yeah, sweet. Why'd you ask me for a program? Why'd you come to me for coaching? You're wasting your money and you're not going to do a better job of it yourself. That pisses me off. Yeah, mm. that's fair. That annoy me. I've got a two-strike rule. Um, I, like, I my my... Um, coaching, especially for the last three or four years, I, I'm in the fortunate position to the point where the people that I coach or the people that want to get coached by me um, want to be the best athlete that they can be and they're normally willing to just yield. They're just normally willing to just be like, yeah, I'm going to do everything that you tell me. I'm not going to stray from this. And if they do stray, it's very minor kind of thing. Um, but if someone does stray, it's normally like, okay, this is the reason why this is a bad idea. This is the reason why you shouldn't do it. Or if they say, hey, I want to do this. Can I do this? And I'm like, well, I'd really prefer that you didn't. I, I don't do like hard, you can do this, you can't do this because you're a fucking adult. You can decide what you're going to do. I tell you why it's going to be a good or a bad idea. If you mess up once and you and you, and you you break, break that and you do it, fair enough. If you do it again... Next time, I'm just not going to say anything. Like, eventually, you have to learn for yourself. Like, oh, this is what Thomas kept going on about. Um, I probably shouldn't do this thing anymore. Uh, that's just me, though. But again, like, I've I've afforded the position of not having to be too worried about clients doing rogue rogue stuff because they've already put their faith and their trust in me, and they're spending a significant sum of money for my guidance, and so um, they tend to stick to the process. And no one in the gym goes rogue anyway. Nah, nah. <laughs> Never. No. Jacob Purser. Never. <laughs> Never. James Hendry. Hey. That oh, was Mon one week, man. Monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> <laughs> On that, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, Thomas brought it to my attention earlier that uh, I don't want to be known as Max out Henny. That was one week. <laughs> so, one deload week. Yeah, that was, yeah. Just, oh, easy. <laughs> Didn't have to say it's a deload week. Um, yeah, so... Where am I going with this? You know yeah. the irony is if you guys scroll back far enough in my in my Instagram, I remember the comp as well. It's 2015 
GPC Worlds in Las Vegas, in my deload week for that competition, like in my in my final deload before that comp, I squatted. I put on a multiply suit, and <laughs> squatted like in the mid three hundreds, and I put on a deadlift suit and squatted uh, deadlifted in the mid three hundreds because I thought, ah, oh, the suit will help. Therefore, it's a deload. I know what I'm doing next deload. No, no, <laughs> yes. no, no. Two thousand fifteen Thomas is nothing you want to be like. I used to whenever Thomas I've mentioned this before, but whenever Thomas used to go away, we used to all just max out. <laughs> it was the best. Twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah, it was a while ago. Twenty was a different time. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Bridget? How do you feel about people that you coach that might be going on <laughs> program? If they discuss it with me first and we both come to an agreement, that's fine. But if they don't want to take my advice, then yeah, like Thomas said, they're an adult. Mm. Yeah. They can make their own decisions. <laughs> what about you? What about when clients are like, no, I'm going to cut my own hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the clippers. You go, go. go off the haircut. Please, program. yeah, pay me just to use the clippers. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm not guilty of that at all. Um, I want to ask you guys, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? If you can't control a situation, the one thing you can control is how you react to that situation. Oh. Mm. Mm. That's just in life in general. Yeah. Not to do with lifting or anything. Yeah. If there's something that's upsetting you, you don't necessarily have to be upset about it. You know, that's what you can control. Mm. Your emotions. You might need to send that to me. <laughs> <laughs> mm. yeah, absolutely. Best piece of advice I've ever been given. Um, come back to me. You go, Thomas. Uh, I've got a few, but I'm going to go with this one because it's the one that first came to my head. So I'm just going to chuck it out there. Uh, which is the idea of like, forget the idea of um, don't bite off more than you can chew. Bite off as much as you can and learn learn to chew like crazy. That's good I love that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't believe in... I t it's the irony is I teach this right I teach like as one person you've got a limited capacity and I do believe that but I, I I feel like I haven't found my capacity I feel like I can keep saying yes to things and I can get more efficient and better at working uh, and I feel like I operate a lot better if I have 10,000 things to do than if I've got one thing to do that's good I like that mm. um yeah oh flip I got a few and I by no means am good at any of these. Um, Pick one. Best one. I think a, a quote that I read the other day that really hit me was, um, if you avoid failure, you also avoid success. True. And, um, yeah, I, I guess it kind of goes along the lines of what, you know, you said is with... Um, uh, you know, not being too scared to bite off more than you can chew. Um, uh, a big thing that I always try to hammer to myself is like, and I'm so, I, yeah, again, I'm not very good at this, but to not wait for a green light, but just keep opening doors until one closes instead of just waiting for doors to open. Um, and yeah, not be so complacent and just back yourself. Nice. Um, <clears throat> Mine would actually be Don't be afraid to have Those hard conversations After those, after you have a hard conversation Or a tough conversation That you've been 
wanting to have with someone, it's it may not be the best outcome, but you always feel better and you've done the right thing by having that conversation. Mm. Um, yeah. That's probably not the best piece of advice I've ever been given, but that's all I've got right now. Good advice. Yeah. Mm. Something that not many people do. Mm. Requires a lot of honesty. It requires a lot of courage. It requires a lot of honesty in yourself. Um, and we are conditioned to not do it because we don't talk to each other anymore. We send text messages and emails and stuff. We very rarely have to confront anyone face-to-face or, or have those hard conversations face-to-face. And it's, I mean, it's something I've always admired you for because you've been good at that since the day I've known you. Mm. Sometimes when I do them as well, I can't, uh, I can't help it, but I'll start shaking a little bit. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I'm, I'm a very, Thomas knows, I'm a very fiery person. My... Oh. <laughs> Uh, my initial reaction, I'm getting better at it, is to be angry, uh, you know, to get fired up. So I'm getting better at it, but like I still shake a little bit. I still have a little bit of a tremor in my voice when I have those conversations. But you know, like Tom said, you just you got to you just got to have them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think if more people can like understand that, they're better at receiving those hard conversations. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of hard conversations said to me and being someone that has also had to be on that end, giving like a hard conversation to someone, you, you know, there's a lot of anxiety that goes into that conversation, a mm. lot of thought, a lot of, you know, wondering how they're going to react and worst case scenarios that go through your head. So I'm always very appreciative when someone has that, you know, com- conversation with me because I know how much thought go- has to go into it and the fact that you care enough to have that because... Mm. You wouldn't care. Like, you wouldn't if you didn't care. Can we finish on something a little bit more lighthearted, yeah. please? <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Um, <laughs> most embarrassing gym moment uh, by Tez. Oh, that's the homie. That's one of my best friends. Uh, most embarrassing gym moment for me, me and Maddie, bro, was the first time I ever deadlifted 220. It was the first time I ever screamed in the gym, too. <laughs> and it was just us. Oh, no, it was us two and a few other people here. I was like, I was like, bro, can you give me some ammonia? I'm going to fucking scream for this one. And he's like, oh, yeah, sweet, bro. <laughs> and I took a whiff of the ammonia. And because I've never, I didn't actually need to scream. I just wanted to. So I like screamed and like cracked a high. And I was like, ah! It was the worst scream ever. And all oh, I see I on- blowout. And all I see on the camera back, because Maddie Bray was behind me, as soon as I did, all you see is Maddie like try to <laughs> look to the side and try to hide his, uh, hide his laughter. And I couldn't even do the lift. I started laughing myself. I was like, nah, fuck that. That's no. uh, never doing that again. Fuck. Mm. Damn. CJ, um, oh, I'm embarrassed about it now. I've mentioned it before, me chalking up my shins. <laughs> That's very embarrassing. Um, yeah, Bridget, what's yours? Um, I don't know. I don't have many. There was one moment at my first comp. Actually, I don't know if you remember this. They hadn't done the call for uh, the platform's ready call yet. And I went to walk out and you put your hand out and I thought you were going to give me a high five. And I was like, yeah. And I grabbed your hand and went to walk out on the platform. You're like, no, I'm telling you to wait. And I was like, oh, in front of everyone. <laughs> That's um, probably it. <laughs> normally people like that just grab you by the belt and it's like a cartoon. You're like trying to walk and I'm just holding the belt. Oh, actually in the weekend, Eric goes to me. He goes like this. 
And I was like, fuck, you must want me to slap him in the face. So I slapped him like three times in the face. And he goes, no, nah, my headphones. I was like, oh, shit. So, really? Yeah, so then I took his headphones. I'm like, fuck, sorry, bro. <laughs> he would have loved it. Yeah. I was like, fuck, my bad. Oh, man. I, I can't really think of one particular embarrassing moment. I feel like my powerlifting career between 2012 and the end of 13 is just an entire embarrassment. <laughs> like... This is where I, because I opened the gym and I sort of adopted a bit more of a powerlifting mindset. I was always a powerlifter before that, but I was in a commercial gym and I couldn't really unleash. I couldn't explore uh, different personalities within powerlifting or within myself about powerlifting. So between 2012 and the start of 2014, I went through the ammonia phase. I used to strap up to the deadlift bar when I was using straps and get someone to slap me in the face. I used to get <laughs> hardcore back slaps. I used to scream and carry on before lifts. If you ever see my 2013 States videos, I maybe it's two, no, it's 2014 States videos. That would have been the end of it. Yeah, it was 2014 States because sorry, no, 2013 States. Sorry, 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 because. At that competition, I was in so embarrassed watching the videos back. I'm like, I can never be that guy again. I fucking screamed before my <laughs> first squat. Like I got under the bar and I'm like, <laughs> and then after my deadlift, I won the comp. After my deadlift, I dropped to the ground and I threw my fists on the ground. I pounded the ground. Me and Stenzel call it, call it the GPS, the, gr <laughs> the ground pound of shame. And I never took a whiff of ammonia. I never got a back slap. I very rarely make any noise before I lift. Maybe a little bit of grunt uh, since that day ever. Cause I'm like, I, that fuck that. I just look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> Never again. I love seeing people get hyped up. Yeah, like, I think it's great. Oh, I love the different Coffee types experience. of G up. Mm. <laughs> I, so, so just hearing you right. name all those things. I'm just like, okay. I can't picture <laughs> guilty. it. <laughs> guilty. Guilty. Yeah. I mean like, I, yeah, no comment. Um, <laughs> I I ex I accept it more when it's like the group, like all you guys around Jacob or all you guys around um, Eric, I, like or even when you're squatting, you know, you get a bunch of people around. You. I I accept it when it's like that. But picture this: it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, you, you ever go to a comp and there's just that one guy kind of <laughs> kind of pacing around, <laughs> getting ready to lift and like grabbing the hip and. Fucking slapping themselves in the face. I, I, if I ever see myself on a video doing that again, I'll walk out the gym and I'll never Yeah, but did back. it help? No. Oh. <laughs> That's what I mean. I stopped doing it and I got better as a lifter. <laughs> well, you waste so much energy screaming yeah. and carrying on and getting hyped up. It does help, especially when you're inexperienced. No offense. It does help a lot because you it, it helps you find... It helps you channel focus and find mm. adrenaline and aggression. Once you can learn to turn it on without all that external stimulus, you turn it on way harder and you don't waste so much energy. Because that's what I found. I found like to turn it on, I'd have to like pace around and sniff ammonia and get psyched up for like two minutes. So by the time I got to the bar, I just fucked. I just gassed. Um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I'll show you guys one day a video yes, of me please. screaming. I, 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 I can't I believe can. that there is yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that exists well you're gonna love it because back then I used to cut my own hair so not only am I <laughs> screaming I look like an idiot as well <laughs> yeah wow Jeez. all right that's all right. us that's we're, us we're over now let's cool. call it there all right well thank you guys for watching hope you guys enjoyed this podcast give us five stars on Spotify like and subscribe on YouTube hit the bell so you know every time we post a new video and yeah <laughs> 
Hit the bell. See you guys later. Bye. Peace. Love it. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to the Zero Podcast. If you want more information, head to our Instagram, zero underscore weakness. Hit the link in the bio for all of our services and any information on upcoming workshops and events. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review so we can have a broader reach and answer more people's questions. Thank you once more.